Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. You're listening to episode 38 in the History of Skipton series with me, Ian Lockwood, author of the book, The History of Skipton, on which these podcasts are based. In the last episode, I talked about the foundation of Ermistead's School for Boys and the scandal and corruption surrounding the school for decades, if not centuries. If you didn't catch that episode, then I'd recommend that you listen to it first. For those who did... Let me briefly recap. The headmastership of Ermisteads was seen as a comfortable living because income from rents of lands gifted to the school by its founder, William Ermistead, had risen in value. The appointment of a headmaster depended upon the vote of the rector of Holy Trinity Church and its church wardens. If they could not make a decision within one month, then Lincoln College, a part of Oxford University, had the right to appoint its nominee. We ended the last episode with Reverend Thomas Gartham installed as the head after a bitter dispute which had seen the church warden's nominee, Reverend Richard Withnell, deny the post because he had no academic qualifications. Gartham arrived in Skipton in 1796, knowing that the majority of church wardens plus the vicar, had fought bitterly to keep him out. His rival, Withnell, lived a couple of hundred yards away. This was because Withnell had been made rector of Burnsell. Was compensation, perhaps? Although he chose, for some reason, to live in Newmarket Street, right close to the school. As already noted, the post of Hermistead's headmaster was lucrative and Gartham set about selling limestone from the school land and put up the rents to increase his income even further. The Hermistead school historian A.M. Gibbon puts his earnings from rents at between £700 and £1,000 a year. This was a large sum at the start of the 1800s. Against this background of Gartham growing ever more wealthy, to the jealousy of those who had sought to keep him out, a meeting was called at the Black Horse in January of 1822 to discuss the future of the school. That future was intended to be one without Gartham. A petition was drawn up seeking his dismissal after 26 years in the post. The petition had a long list of allegations. For example, 
For twenty years, the inhabitants of the parish have been deprived of the benefit they ought to derive from the school, owing to the gross, immoral character of the present master, who was an improper person to be entrusted with the education of children. The charge sheet reeks of exaggeration. It said Gartam had eccentric ideas. He purchased expensive books. He granted too many holidays. He'd been arrested for debt. He'd failed to start school at the correct time. He'd treated the vicar and church wardens with derision. He'd held auction sales, collecting multitudes of disorderly people under the pretense of offering buildings for sale. Most intriguingly, it was alleged that he had offered himself in marriage to some of the daughters of the petition signers, even though he scarcely knew the women. No details are given, and it seems as though every small rumour had been blown up, although one other complaint carries a bit more weight. There were only 16 boys enrolled at the school. Indeed, some of these were poor children, who Gartham was paying to attend to boost the numbers. As Gibbon pointed out, it is not clear if the complaint was that the headmaster was paying to keep up the numbers and thus his job, or the petitioners were concerned that riffraff were admitted as pupils. Faced with such hostility, the church wardens and the vicar dismissed Gartham and, in the hope he would go quietly, offered to require his successor to pay him £3.10 shillings a week pension. Gartham was having none of it, although many of the tenants on school land seized the opportunity of a dispute to stop paying rent. A year after giving Gartham notice to quit, he was still there, so the church wardens took matters into their own hands. They appointed a new master, Reverend Robert Tomlinson, a curate at Holy Trinity, and, accompanied by the vicar, the new master and the leading local solicitor William Alcock, they broke into the school, barricaded all the doors, and demanded Gartham should leave. Not surprisingly, a large crowd gathered to witness a commotion, and the fact that they forced the doors open and reinstated Gartham shows that he was not without his own sympathisers. Tomlinson took to running a small private school in Spencer's yard, off Sheep Street, and this was run for a short while as a rival to Ermistead's. Not for the first time, the running of Skipton's Grammar School was in turmoil. Tenants were instructed by either party to pay the rent to them. Lawyers were again turning a profit. And the last consideration was the education of local boys. Garton won a victory in November 1823 at the Court of Common Pleas in London, where Mr Justice Park ruled that Garton's dismissal was invalid. This sordid tale of corruption, jealousy and greed was finally resolved in December 1824, when Gartham died. Tomlinson was appointed as his successor and brought over the boys he had been teaching off Sheep Street. It marked a period of relative calm, although, as we shall see, the scandals of Hermistead were far from over. Reverend Tomlinson may have been an implacable enemy of Reverend Gartham, but he seems to have been a reasonably diligent master. The charity commissioner sent in an inspector in 1827 and he reported that for 30 years the school had 
been in an unsatisfactory state and could scarcely be said to be conducted at a seminary for classical education. A new master has, however, been recently appointed and he has admitted 70 free scholars and 10 boarders and is endeavouring to obtain for it the character of a grammar school. The death of Tomlinson in 1835 brings the school to the eve of the Victorian era. The Industrial Revolution was in full spate and the old educational priorities of Latin, Greek and the Bible no longer seemed quite so indispensable. Indeed, Hermistead's, with its squabble, self-interest and downright corruption, seemed to be an irrelevant relic of the past. Perhaps it was fortunate that the vicar and church wardens saw the need to modernise. They petitioned for a change in the school's articles, which, among other things, intended to improve the school and pay its headmaster a salary rather than allowing to manage and keep the school's extensive estate for his own profit. As a manifesto for change, the petition was an important milestone. It stated baldly that it would be better to pull the school down and erect a new one. The document proposed more mathematics, writing and accounts on the curriculum. But the wheels ground slowly and it was not until 1841, five years later, that a new constitution for the school was accepted by the Charity Commission. The new curriculum was approved, the school was to be run by a master, a second master, and an assistant teacher, but the biggest change was in the means of payment. The master no longer had control of saying who could or could not lease parts of the school's estate. And instead of managing this estate entirely to his own profit, the master was now required to concentrate on teaching and was paid a salary. The vicar and the church wardens were now the ones who would run the school estate and thus manage the purse strings. The new headmaster, from 1836 after Tomlinson's death, was Reverend William Sidgwick, a member of the family running the cotton mill in Skipton. He was imposed when the new constitution was finally adopted in 1841, but he died very soon after, at the age of just 35. The new system was properly in place when William Cartman took over from the deceased Sidgwick in 1841. Cartman had been Sidgwick's deputy. Intriguingly, Cartman's new deputy was John Cartman. And the two other teachers at the school were Charles Cartman and Henry Cartman. Nothing like keeping it in the family. According to Gibbon, the argument over compulsory Latin raged at this time and Cartman played a pragmatic hand. There were those who thought that neglecting Latin made the school common and no different from a school for the lower classes. On the other hand, other parents thought Latin was less of value than accounts, maths or, or any practical subject which might lead to a career or a business. So Cartman interpreted the rule that Latin should be taught to each boy according to his ability with great flexibility. Apparently, very few had the ability and those who did have the ability were the sons of parents who thought Latin was an essential part of a gentleman's education.
Well, this might seem to have been an admirable solution. An inspection report from the School's Inquiry Commission shows that under Cartman, there was little improvement in the general education, and Ermistead's was hardly a shining beacon. The report read, On the day of my visit, I found some difficulty in examining the scholars owing to the extreme disorder. The written exercises were fairly but not well done, but in reading and in the power to answer simple questions on the meaning of words, the children were inferior to those in an elementary school of average merit. In mathematics, very little advance has been made. The arithmetical knowledge throughout the school is low. On the whole, the instruction of the school appeared to me to be slovenly, immetaphorical and unintelligent, and I could find no one subject in which the boys seemed to take an interest, or which had been taught with average care or success. This may be partially accounted for by the state of the discipline, which is evidently most inefficient. Slovenly? Unintelligent? No discipline? Hardly the words a modern parent would associate with Hermistead's. Soon after this inspection, Cartman left the school. The school's official history says he resigned, and one might think the damning report was the main reason. However, his great-great-grandson, the renowned Dales folk historian Dr Bill Mitchell, revealed that he was in charge of St Mark's Episcopal Church, Portobello, Edinburgh, in September 1867. More intriguingly, he was registered as being with a companion, a French woman who had been employed as a maid at Hermistead's. Another intriguing reference was the talk on the school's history given by school governor Thomas Edmondson in 1914. He said that Cartman had left, owing to circumstances we need not go into. He wished to say, however, that Dr Cartman was not the creator of the vices which led to his downfall. The whiff of scandal was still strong at Hermistead's. As I've already noted, Hermistead's was hardly unique. The report I've just quoted from was made under the aegis of the Parliamentary Commission on Endowed Schools of 1864. It commented on Hermistead's and also Giggleswick and Sedba schools. It grouped them together and said that they were virtually useless. They give no satisfaction to the locality in which they are placed and they do next to nothing for the public at large. Nepotism was also shown to be standard, as Cartman himself had proved. The Commission concluded that England's endowed grammar schools were no better and probably worse than ordinary elementary schools. The old and clearly failing system which admired Hermistead's in controversy and corruption was ended in 1871. The catalyst was the Endowed Schools Act, which grabbed hold of the many varied endowment schemes for schools dating back many centuries by the scruff of the neck and shook them into a more modern system focused on academic learning. The centrepiece of the legislation was the creation of the Endowed Schools Commission, which had extensive powers to command endowed schools like Hermistead's to reform their government and educational provision. In Skipton, the Endowed Schools Commission stripped the church wardens of any involvement in the running of the school. 
in particular, their power to select the headmaster of Hermistead's. That, and financial control of its wide-ranging estates, was to devolve upon a board of governors, who also had a role to play in the management of the school. Four governors were to be prominent citizens holding key posts in the town, and six were to be co-opted from the community. It's a scheme familiar to modern eyes. The school's lands were placed under the supervision of the Charity Commission, who needed to approve any sale of its property. And in the coming years, much of the land was to be disposed of to finance improvements to the fabric of the school. There were other changes to the new school. The new head no longer had to be a cleric or a graduate of Oxford or Cambridge. The school fees were fixed at a maximum and a minimum level. This was between three and six pounds for juniors, six and twelve pounds for seniors. Annual inspections were mandatory. More importantly, a scholarship scheme to pay for half or all of the fees for some boys was installed. Thus, the beginnings of uh, the modern Hermisteads date from 1871. From this year on, the school was to prosper as an academic institution, and the scandals of contested elections, greedy headmasters and church wardens, and grim standards were to be over. While the Endowed School Act upgraded many similar schools to full-fee-paying public schools, or downgraded them to elementary schools, Ermisteads was one of a number of hybrids, which continued to provide secondary education to local children on scholarships, as well as offering places on a fee-paying basis. So it's halfway between a private and a public school. One of the recommendations of the Endowed Schools Commission was to build a new school, more fit for the purpose of educating boys, and this preoccupied the new governors under the chairmanship of Sir Matthew Wilson. They eventually decided upon the Gargrave Road site on fields they owned, partly on the basis that of all the sites in the town, it suffered the least from smoke from chimneys. However, the school was floundering. Uncertainty over its future was not helping. Gibbon said, shortage of money, inadequate boarding fees, old-fashioned textbooks, and all the worries associated with the preparations of a new school in Gargrave Road almost led to the death of the old school before the new one could be opened. The headmaster who is credited with reviving the fortunes of Hermisteads was Edward Thompson Hartley, the first non-cleric. He came to Hermistead from Bedford School, where he had been head of science and maths. The new school was almost complete when he took over in September 1876, and the old school closed in December of that year. There was surprisingly little fanfare to mark the opening of the extensive new premises of the historic school. According to the Craven Herald of July the 14th, 1877, there was no ceremony at all. Arthur Thornton, writing in the Craven Herald in 1948, stated that he was one of just 13 boys 
who transferred to the new school, while another 13 new boys were enrolled. Hartley published a prospectus to entice more students, pointing out how the new premises were spacious and ideal for educational purposes. Interestingly, this first prospectus informed parents that wine or beer is not supplied, except by medical advice. Instead, extra milk is provided at supper. It was Hartley who introduced speech days, and by 1880, the numbers had climbed to 71. According to an 1879 advert in the Craven Herald, school fees were £6 per annum for juniors and £9 for seniors. So the prices had gone up. Boarders paid £38 for juniors and £41 for senior boys. The governors encouraged local boys to board at the school rather than coming in by train or walking. I can't believe profit was behind their recommendation. Hermistead's old building and the land it stood on was sold at auction in 1878 for £2,364 to a local GP. And in 1896, it was sold to Skipton Urban District Council, who used it to house their electricity substation, a function it continues to perform to this day. The school had taken a financial risk in building its new home on Gargrave Road, but it was greatly helped by the sale of its land in the final quarter of the 19th century. The old grammar school site realised £2,364, land in Eastby over £5,000, and various other plots in the town and in Addingham brought in another nearly £9,000. Fields further down Gargrave Road was sold to the governors of the Skipton Girls High School, bringing in another £2,000. Even so, these early years were financially difficult. But Ermisteads still owned extensive lands in and around Skipton, which brought in over £1,000 a year in rent. This was a, to be a lifesaver, as the school started to build up its reputation and numbers. There were still a few scandals. In 1888, the third master i.e. the third in command, A.W. Johns, was sued for medical fees by the father of a pupil who had caught peritonitis, allegedly because he'd been pushed against a desk by the, by the master. Skipton County Court found in favour of Johns, but this was reversed on appeal to High Court. There was a sad postscript as Johns was declared bankrupt as a result of the costs of defending himself. He owed £112 in legal fees and £19 from a loan to the headmaster and he earned just £60 a year. He had to leave the school in 1891. The 1902 Education Act ended the jealously guarded autonomy of the school. Endowed grammar schools such as Ermisteads now receive finance from the local education authority, at this point West Yorkshire County Council. In return, a scholarship system gave promising children from elementary schools the opportunity to go to secondary school. All grant-aided secondary schools, such as Ermistead, had to admit free-place scholars who were to number not less than one quarter of the previous year's total intake. The authority 
paid the school £5 per head for each of these free scholars. Free in the sense that the boys didn't pay the money. Hartley resigned in 1907 after 30 years in post to take up semi-retirement as the vicar of Rempston in Nottinghamshire. His period of stability was followed by one of uncertainty as two heads came and went in short order. Reverend Frank Forder was appointed head in 1917. Age 34, he was a science and maths master at Charterhouse School, but he seems to have failed to fit into Skipton society. When Forder left at Easter 1922, he said in his farewell speech that although he would have fond memories of the school and its pupils, he would not have fond memories of the town. He hinted darkly that, in Skipton, he had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and had learned what the word friend really meant. But he hoped that in time only the pleasant memories of Skipton would remain. The local paper was similarly opaque. It said that it was sorry that public activities outside the school have given him so little that is worth cherishing. It added, he may have failed in much that he sought to do, but at least no one else has succeeded where he has failed. If Mr Forder's public record is capable of error, it is in that part where he has presumed too much upon the inherent virtues of mankind. These references are to his disappointment over the town's rejection of his war memorial plans. Under the next head, Alexander MacDonald, the school continued to make steady progress and in 1933 almost doubled in size with the addition of the western portion of the school at a cost of £22,000. But Mackintosh was to die suddenly in 1937 at the age of 52, leaving the school rudderless. The new head was an Ulsterman, Marcelin Foster, who came from Epsom College. The school was thriving now. It was so doing so well that less than four years after the Western Extension had roughly doubled its size, there were statements that it wasn't big enough. The school was now so well thought of that in 1939 it imposed an entrance exam, even for those whose parents could afford the full fees. So, by World War II, Hermistead's had been transformed. The war also saw the major reorganisation of secondary education enshrined in the 1944 Education Act. Fees were scrapped and all places were to be awarded on scholarships after examination. Foster was a strict disciplinarian. He justified a 7pm curfew on the Hermistead's pupil in a speech to parents in 1953. Woe betide any Hermistead's boy caught on the streets of Skipton without a special pass or not in the company of his parents after 7pm. Foster said that the aim of the curfew was to prevent juvenile delinquency. He offered this opinion. If a boy has nothing particular to do, he will find something to do and that will be something of which his parents will not approve. 
Calling for the support of parents for his hardline policy, he said that attending scout or other club meetings would almost always justify the issuing of a school pass. Foster's moral code did not apply to himself, as another Ermistead scandal caused the abrupt end of his tenure as headmaster in August 1956. The sudden resignation inevitably caused speculation, but the chairman of governors assured locals that it was purely a domestic matter and there's been no trouble between the head and the boys in any shape or form. Officially, there was no comment, but all the boys knew the reason. One of the housemaids in the boarding section of the school was pregnant. Forster was not long out of a job, he was appointed head of Cagthorpe Secondary Modern School in Horncastle and the school brought in a replacement, Jack Eastwood, the head of Ludlow Grammar School. Another scandal hit the school soon after Jack Eastwood's arrival. In April of 1959, the clerk to the governors, John Burroughs, was jailed for two years for embezzling more than £2,000 from the school. In charge of the payroll, Burroughs had been forging signatures of former non-teaching staff on wage claims after they had left the school and pocketing the proceeds. However, these temporary crises did not halt the school's upward progress and reputation for educating boys. Eastwood remained head until 1972. His successor being John Woolmore, head of chemistry to school in Winchester. Woolmore was head when Ermistead's future as a selective school was assured. He left in 1982 to become head of Thetford Grammar School in Norfolk, his successor being David Buckroyd, who joined from King Edward VIII School in Lytham. No subject has divided educationists than the subject of selective education. The third quarter of the 20th century saw most of Britain's grammar schools turn to comprehensives with the abandonment of the selection system for cho choosing those who, in the jargon used by the education authorities, were deemed capable of a grammar school education. Skipton's grammar schools survived, yet it was a long and hard-fought battle. It seemed lost when, in 1964, the Craven Education Executive Committee of the West Riding County Council voted 20 to 8 to scrap the 11 plus and selection system and instead implement a comprehensive system. As usual, a committee resolution was not the fuse for swift action. Four months later, Arthur Coe, chairman of Ermistead's Governors, complained at the school speech day that he had heard nothing about the end of selection apart from what he had read in the press. There had been no communication from the County Council. The resolution... Skip all that's gone before and restart here. At Ermistead's, with its endowments and trustees, there was little enthusiasm to relinquish power and status. At the school speech day in 1966, Arthur Coe, the chairman of governors, used the platform to set out the school's strong opposition 
to the ending of a selection system. He said, The plan obviously abolishes completely and utterly this school and all it means. How am I expected, or any other governor, to think constructively about a plan which does nothing but destroy? They ask us to go along with this plan, but it's just not on. I am sure I speak for the majority of governors that they will never agree to accept anything that is unacceptable. But the proposal was adopted in April 1967 by the West Riding Education Committee and sent to the Ministry of Education for approval. But the West Riding was dealing with 28 areas and thus 28 proposals for comprehensive and the one for the Skipton area would be the last to be implemented. So it had time on its side. The mood was summed up by Headmaster Eastwood at the Founders' Day speech of 1970. He told the old boys, perhaps preaching to the converted, that the proposal reduced the school size, which was not viable. For the first time, an Ermy Stead's official argued that comprehensive education was educationally bad. However, the key part of his speech was the veiled threat of legal action. Eastwood pointed out that under the law, any changes to a grant-aided school could not be made without the agreement of the governors, and that would not be forthcoming. One thing which did disappear was the 11 plus in 1968. Instead of all children sitting a formal exam, from 1969, entry to the grammar schools would be by the Thorn scheme. Now the principal route in was filling a quota by recommendation of primary school headteachers using a child's progress in the primary school as a yardstick. Any borderline pupil would spend a day with a group of primary and secondary school teachers who would assess their ability for a grammar school. But one unwelcome aspect of this was the pressure put on primary school headteachers by parents insistent that their child should be recommended as sufficiently academic. The reorganisation of local government in 1974 put Skipton in a new county. It was no longer in the West Riding, it was now in North Yorkshire. Not only was the new county far more conservative politically, and therefore ideologically in favour of selection, it also put Skipton and Ripon together in opposing the ending of selection. Most importantly, the reorganisation of local government brought another delay to all schemes. And in 1979, Margaret Thatcher won the general election for the Conservatives. Within days, North Yorkshire County Council announced it was freezing plans for comprehensive education in Skipton and Ripon and would probably scrap the scheme altogether. The reason was that the new government made a prompt decision that the few remaining grammar schools in the UK could remain, provided that was the decision of the local authority. In other words, a licence for Conservative-run councils to end a policy they had never really warmed to. Later, selection by exam rather than teacher recommendation returned, although primary schools were prohibited from teaching towards the exam. 
But this sparked a cottage industry in cramming pupils for what were known as verbal and non-verbal reasoning assessments. Although officially frowned upon, it has led to educate accusations that children from wealthier backgrounds who can afford private coaching have an advantage over poorer children who were seeing the special verbal and non-verbal assessments for the first time. Private tuition for the selection tests remains a popular industry in Skipton and a drain on the pockets of many parents. Scandal still dogged Hermisteads and a tragedy in the school grounds shed some light on attitudes in the school. In October 1979, Philip Osborne, a 35-year-old English and French teacher who was head of the school's boarding house, was killed by a 14-year-old boarder. The subsequent court hearing heard that the boy had severely disabled parents and on a visit home had said or done something which deeply upset them. Osborne found out about this and instructed the boy to apologise in his next letter home. But when he read the letter, he did not consider it genuine and struck the boy, screwing up the paper. A second letter was approved, but it had a PS added on later, which Osborne found out about and took exception to. He grabbed the boy by the hair. The boy broke free and ran off down the school drive where he was caught by the teacher. As he was being dragged back to the school, the boy stabbed the teacher through the heart with a small penknife. Osborne staggered back into the school and was dead by the time an ambulance arrived. Defending, Gilbert Gray QC said the boy was apprehensive that he was to undergo some harm and pain at the hands of the master when he was taken back to the study. The boy was put into the care of Margaret Billing, wife of the area education officer, during the week and returned to his family at weekends. The boarding side of the school was increasingly obsolete under the voluntary aided status of the 1944 Education Act. The number of boarders fell and the closure of the boarding school was announced in 1987, although it was 1989 when the final boarder left. The 21st century has seen the school continue to develop and improve its facilities. The major developments include the refurbishment of the school library, a new school dining hall, a new computer suite, new science laboratories. Despite its scandal-ridden past, today Ermistead has a high reputation as a beacon of the selective education system. However, only 29% of children from Skipton and its surrounding villages attend Ermistead's grammar school. The rest are drawn from a large radius around the town where the comprehensive system survives. That has led to Ermistead's being dubbed as not Skipton's Grammar School, but a grammar school which just happens to be in Skipton. What about girls, you might ask? Well, next week we'll be looking at the Grammar School for Girls, Skipton Girls High. Until then, thank you for listening.
redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.